I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. If you're considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right is your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right tackles topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen and bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company Black Dog Builders in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. Welcome back to Renovation Made Right. I am David Bryan. And I am Brenda Bryan. And uh, we are looking forward to having an opportunity to do a little more Q&A. We've got some questions that have come in. Uh, and uh, Brenda, I think you've got the you've got the control of those. So we're gonna... I do, I do. I we actually just finished off on a roofing question, and we've got another one. Um, two and actually, row. before I do that, let's what? do a, a little plug to for listeners. So if you have uh, some home related questions uh, that you know we could uh, we could help you with, please don't be afraid. Right in the show notes is our email. You can send us a request, send us an email with some questions. We would be more than happy to uh, read your questions on uh, on the air and mm-hmm. then answer them to the best of our ability. Exactly. Which don't, is you sketchy, don't just which have is sketchy to run, at best. Run to the Google right away. Y- although, yeah. although I understand that's how people get answers, and I have myself found you know, like YouTube videos are super helpful. That, that they are. Okay. So anyway, my the question from Liz in Burlington, Vermont is, when is it time for a new roof? What are the signs? What is the danger if I put it? Question. So it's funny you say that. Uh, I am always stunned by the number of times I'll drive around and see roofs that are so far past their prime mm. um, that uh, that now the homeowner is taking what probably is their biggest asset and putting it in danger, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what percentage-wise, but, but the vast, vast majority of roofing material in the residential market is all an asphalt-based product, mm-hmm. right? So um, asphalt-based product essentially has a lifespan, and the lifespan is driven for the most part, by when the material, quote unquote, dries out, right? So shingles start out uh, almost oily, if you mm-hmm. will, or you can, yeah. you can feel them, you can feel the oil. And there's typically like a mat that is oil impregnated, and then they put granules on it. And and shingle durability is, a lot of it is borne by how much of that material they put together. Mm-hmm. And, and so consequently by weight. So they sort of- so they, Right, so it's almost the, like the thicker the-, the right. 300 pounds right. per square. Mm-hmm. A square, by the way, is 100 square feet. So roofers talk in, the, in, in their world, they talk about square. How many square is that roof? And, mm-hmm. that, and what, they re, what, that really is, what the really reality of that is, is it's 100 square feet, okay? Mm-hmm. So one square is 100 square feet. And um, when you are- when you're looking at, at shingle quality, weight is a driver, right? So how many pounds per square? And so the, the heavier the shingle, in general, the heavier the shingle, the more durable, the longer the lifespan, the longer the warranty. Now, um, if you are in an older home, and, and the other thing is that shingles have historically come, or the original shingles were what they call three-tab shingles. So if you're in a house and it was roofed inexpensively, it was probably roofed with what they call a three-tab shingle. And so, or a tabbed shingle, sometimes they're four tabs, but mostly three tab. What does and, that mean? And so what, what, that's what you see when you look up. You see sort of the separation mm-hmm. between the pieces. And even though they're really not separate, they're all like where you can't see the shingles, like on the part that tucks up underneath the other course. It's all one piece. It's all solid, right? Yeah. So it's solid. And the shingle, let's, let's just for ease of math, let's say a shingle is three and a half feet long, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you know, in, in that scenario, you're going to have three tabs on a three and a half foot long shingle, but it's one shingle mm-hmm. now. And it's the obviously it's the part that expo- it's exposed to the weather, exposed to the sun, and the UV uh, rays that break it down over time. Mm-hmm. And that breakdown typically causes a couple of things. That breakdown causes uh, drying, and the drying leads to shrinkage, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you could look up at a roof, and this is easy on a three tab shingle. You could look up at a roof, and you could see that okay the gaps between my shingle tabs are, are getting bigger, yeah. right? Meaning my shingles are, or they or they have gotten bigger over time, meaning my shingles have been shrinking, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so as they get bigger, they also are exposing more of the shingle beneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which is in turn drying. And, dry, right. And, right. Exactly. And so, and then the next thing you see in sort of the time when you've, when you sort of know that you've waited longer, as long as you possibly can, right? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to defer this cost for as long as you can, uh, when your shingles start curling mm-hmm. on the edges, that's game. That, that's kind of game over. You really need to invest in a new roof. I, and and I've actually seen and and to, I could drive to places right now within ten minutes of here and see roof shingles that um, have actually curled to a point where the pieces now are broken off and exposing mm-hmm. the under shing, the, the shingle from above. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now you get into a space where you're now exposing the fasteners, right? So all the shingles are designed so all the nails that hold them in are all covered by the by the previous shingle. Once you start exposing fasteners, the system is not designed to allow that to happen, and so water can begin to penetrate where the nails are. Yeah. Right. And then you get leaking, and, and then and, you get and, rot, and right? Then you and get, you get right. but that's the problem. Sometimes you might not get leaking. Sometimes all you might get is rot because not enough water comes through ah, those nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So it's not like something obvious that you're seeing. You're just right. It, right. It's kind of a. It can be a slow, insidious thing. If you get a leak, on some level, that's almost good, right? Because it forces you to actually be aware of it and respond to it. If you don't, and you're getting water penetration through the nail holes, and it's a small amount of water per- penetration, you might, uh, you might find that, you know, in that scenario, you're getting um, a slow amount of water buildup, and that water buildup then. Uh, makes that wood below, plywood, it makes that wood or plywood sheathing now more susceptible to bug infestation, right? right? And they start munching away, and then you got a rot problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's really when the shingles start curling and when you start seeing them, and you might even see an increase of granules or particulate matter on the ground at the edge of the roof, mm-hmm. indicating that more of that stuff's falling off your roof and indica- indicating that it's really time. And now, I and I do know that like you can you can have a roof where you know the south facing elevation actually needs replacement faster than the north face. You don't 100%. necessarily have to re-roof your entire roof. That is hundred percent true. Right, exactly. But but the the standards by which you judge it are the same. It's mm-hmm. like okay, visually, am I seeing right. shrinkage? And, and and then you know so that's what that was the conversation around the three tab roof. Now um, you know. Quite some time ago now, uh, what they call architectural or laminated shingles come, have come into the market. Architectural laminated shingles are essentially they eliminate the tabbing and they look more, they're supposed to look more like as if you had put wood shingles fried in your roof, right? Mm-hmm. They don't really, but that's that's the idea. Um, and you don't have a predictable pattern, like the three-tab system where the tabs all line up and mm-hmm. you can look at it. it. It looks much more random. And uh, it... And because those shingles are typically heavier and built up or laminated, um, it takes a little longer for them to fail, and it's not as black and white when they do fail because they don't do as much cupping and as much shrinking, and you can't really look at one tab next to another tab and see that that gap has gotten bigger. So, but at the end of the day, you still can see curling, you can still see failure, um, but you but it's a little harder to to know when an architectural shingle has reached the end of its life unless you get to a place where you are experiencing leaks. And the truth is. 
once again, the, like the largest investment in your in your life I mean, for many people is their home. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get to a place where um, you're allowing a, a leak to be the indicator of when it's time to replace because right. by because that, then a lot of other damage has been done. You're just not seeing it. Exactly, that may be the case, mm-hmm. right? That that may very well be the case. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the answer. Is is sort of a visual is the first way to go. Uh, and that should precede you having, you know, to get water problems. If you get water problems, it's self-evident, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But a visual inspection um, is uh, is critical. And if you're, you know, if you're looking at, uh, if you're questioning that, you could always have someone inspect the roof or a couple people inspect the roof and explain to you why they see what they see, mm-hmm. right? Because if, if, especially if it's a roofing company, they're going to want to put a new roof on your house. Right. So you want to understand um, what they're seeing as the problem. Right, right. right? Yep. Okay. Um, all right. So our next question is up from Jen in Newington, New Hampshire. She says, help. My basement flooded and now smells like mildew. How can I make it better? Ah, great. Um, awesome question. So, um, if it smells like mildew, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that your basement was finished. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't, wasn't totally clear in the question, but, um, if it was, uh, unfortunately, now what's happened is your face was probably finished with two by fours and sheetrock, and those, when they get wet, are food sources for mold. Yes, right. They if you love it, yeah. yum 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 yum. Right. So you need a couple things to happen for mold to proliferate. You need to have uh, you know, relative humidity uh, that is higher than fifty percent, mm-hmm. right, or fifty five percent technically, um, and you need to have a food source, right, and so. Uh, food source being paper, a paper type product, it, mold is really fond of wood. Mm-hmm. Mold's really mm-hmm. fond of, but it won't grow if it's dry, mm-hmm. and um, and it won't grow if uh, you know if there's another food source. So, unfortunately, in your case, you're in a spot where the best thing to do is make sure that you pull out any of that material that has become wet, and that typically means that at a minimum you're going to be cutting like two feet around the perimeter of your basement, mm-hmm. uh, unless your basement flooded worse, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've seen basements flood three feet deep, but right. if your basement got a few inches of water in it, unfortunately you still need to go ahead and pull some drywall off uh, all the way around the perimeter, pull out the insulation, and let the wood and everything dry before you put that back together. Now, and then, And then do you do you treat that wood? Can you spray it down with like a bleach solution to kill anything that's left? Well, how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, so there are um, there are antimicrobial sprays mm-hmm. that you can. And bleach is a, is an alternative as well. Uh, be careful with that. I because know because you, you can asphyxiate yourself. Yeah, you while can you're, you can yeah, damage right, your, lungs your lungs permanently, yeah. right? Um, but there also are uh, your insurance company will also typically pay for a restoration contractor to come in mm. and do that work for you, and they they come in. They'll do the removal work. They'll set up blower fans, and they'll uh, they'll kill the mold and get you back to a place where you could begin to sort of rebuild the basement space. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I this is a bit of a digression, but I would put it to you that in our in our company in our world we built basements the old fashioned way, meaning with sheetrock and two by fours for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. We came across a better way, uh, and there's a basement finishing system out in the market called Total Basement Finishing. That if you are not in our market, you should think about looking up Total Basement Finishing because they all the materials that go into the basement are very intentionally inorganic. Mm-hmm. And today, when we finish basements, if you don't use a system like this, most of the materials that go in are actually organic. Right. And organic Wood is, and sheetrock. Right. And, right. It's like it's putting a grocery a, store into your basement for mold. Right. right. They just they can and so. So when you're talking about inorganic, we're talking about like metal studs and right. right? Metal studs, uh, rock wool insulation, which is a mineral wool insulation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, there's actually in, like in fiberglass insulation, there's a 
uh, uh, urea, which is actually is, is part of fiberglass, and that can actually be a food source for mm-hmm. mold as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so inorganic material like uh, uh, cement board w- for the wall material instead of drywall with a paper mm-hmm. face mm-hmm. Or, uh, or inorganic ceiling tiles that aren't cellulose-based, right, and things like that. So right. uh, and same thing with your flooring choice. Making yeah, because, sure you know, it's a basement, and so ultimately it, moisture – congregates there, it's going to be an issue. So right. if you put inorganic things in, it will. it's so, less likely to have a problem in the future. And then the dehumidification is a really big part. I'm so glad you hit on that because there's Thank two you. things to think about, right? So there's, there's um, moisture that comes about just through the, the normal process of vapor moving through concrete because mm-hmm. concrete is porous. Mm-hmm. And it stops the dirt, but it can't really stop the vapor, right? right? So that's always happening where your ground always has more moisture than your air. Mm-hmm. And so some vapor, and, and, and vapor moisture moves from areas of high concentration to areas of low concentration, right? And so if, it's, if, if it has the ability to move into your basement that has low concentration, it's going to do that. It's going to do that through your concrete. Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Um, and uh, And... So there's that issue. And then the other issue is that, generally speaking, it's not a question of if something is going to break in your house, it's going to create water. It's when, mm-hmm. right? When is your hot water heater going to let go? When is a pipe going to rupture? When is a fixture going to fail? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just that's just the way life works, mm-hmm. right? And if you have a basement, it ends up in your basement. So thinking about the materials you put into your basement when you finish them is a big deal or when you repair them because mm-hmm. there's actually a restoration solution for the situation you, you're in where you can you can just replace the first three feet of your wall mm-hmm. with a different product mm-hmm. that will then preclude this from being a problem again in the future. Right, because right. the upper upper areas are not usually the issue. Right, it's the it's the floor and the right, right. the first floor. So. I can tell you right now there are a ton of basements out there that if you um, it, that may look beautiful and are fine to the outside, but if you pull the sheetrock off, uh, you might find that even though your basement's attractive, you may still find mold and mildew on the backside of the sheetrock where you mm-hmm. can't see it right. because there's that vapor coming off the wall. Well, and you usually it. know it too. I mean, there how many be. basements right. have you gone into that are just lovely and but they smell? They got, a, fun, they got a funk. There's to a it. funk, right? right. right. You know. And, and the, the last piece of that conversation is also your flooring choice, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of people, because basements have an inherent ability to be a little colder or feel a little colder, mm-hmm. people sometimes feel feel um, driven to put uh, wall-to-wall carpet in. Mm-hmm. And wall-to-wall carpet can be a tough choice. It's not because, again, vapor vapor is even coming up through the floor, mm-hmm. the slab, right? So uh, being mindful of the floor choice, you know, and if carpet gets wet, it's done, mm-hmm. right? So that's going to come out, and you got to mm-hmm. start from scratch. So there are some good flooring choices that you could think about at the same time to make the next iteration of your basement sort of more bulletproof and durable. And then the last thing I want to circle back, you said one thing that was spot on, which is... Uh, dehumidification, mm-hmm. right? So putting in uh, a, a good, high-quality dehumidifier, not like a big box dehumidifier that right, has that a you little have to, bucket. And you have it, to right. go and empty the buckets, not right? Good, not Doesn't good. work. Um, you want to have one set up in such a way where, as it's extracting moisture from the air, uh, first of all, w- uh, the perfect solution is one that's remote. You don't see it, mm-hmm. and all you have is ductwork in your space that that sucks in the moist air and blows out the dry air, mm-hmm. uh, and the space, and and then. It, it has a good way of handling the how it gets rid of that moisture. So the dehumidifier is collecting all that moisture, and you don't want to be in a spot where you're emptying things, right? right? So, so it's, it's got like a pumping dumping, system. dumping into your waste system. Right, right. it's got a pumping system, or you don't actually end up dumping it into your uh, domestic waste system, but you can uh, pump it outside, you mm-hmm. can pump it. In. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different solutions there, but the point is you want to design a sol- solution that doesn't engage the homeowner in having to maintain it, right? right? In, in having to because deal it will with not it. get maintained. Right, because right. then you just shut it off, right? Right. Um, any dehumidifier, one that is quiet when it operates, 
one that cleans the air in the process, and one that just comes on based on a humidistat reading, right? And right. It's so when it goes up above 50, then it kicks, clicks on. Right. right. And so in the wintertime... It when, hardly clicks on right, at all. When moisture drops naturally, right. it should be running very little. Right. Right? And that's, that's what you want. Right. Okay. So. Awesome. Good, good information. Uh, let's see. I think we have time for one more. Yep. And hang on. Getting to my list here. Holy cow, where'd my questions go? <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, oh, here's a great question. The Wall Street Journal just said white kitchens are out and colorful kitchens are in, but I'm nervous. Yeah, I saw this article. It came out like a week and a half ago. Um, what's your advice? And this is from Mary in Brunswick, Maine. Uh-huh. Um, so... It, that's an excellent question. Um, I'm going to let you take that one. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is true. And the interesting thing is white kitchens um, are cyclical. And I'll tell you why they're cyclical. White kitchens were big in the 80s. They were big, uh, you know, 20 years before that. They were big in the 2000s. And now we're coming back. So they they, are, they hit their heyday for about you know, 10 years and then everybody's like, oh, I'm so sick of white. I will put in my colorful kitchen. And then lo and behold, they, you know, 10 years out, they go, I hate this colorful kitchen. I'm so sick of these colors. I want to change. And so that's why white kitchens become so hot because people are just tired, tired, tired of the choices they made 10 and 15 years ago. So when you say colorful kitchen, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, you know, choosing a cabinet color that is unique um, or trendy at that point in time. Um, uh, choosing, like, like really dark woods also come and go. You know, people really like the dark woods, and then people are like, ah, too much dark wood, and they, and they rip it out. So, like, all these things are cyclical. Um, you know, whatever you have right now is not what you're going to want in 10 years. So, so the white kitchen is is you know supposedly out and all the people who are doing you know big expensive fashion design kind of work um are saying okay now it's time to really make these things unique and add color and changes in style and not just these vast swaths of white which i totally get except 15 years from now we're going to be back to white kitchens again um it's just going to happen and it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to where you are now. So here's, and and when, and like, you know, if you're reading the Wall Street Journal, you probably have some money and, and you're following, you know, current design trends, which is great. But what if you're just kind of an average Joe, this is an investment I'm making in my home and I don't want to, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot because I'm going to have to sell this house later. You know, right. in 10 years from now, this becomes a big part of my investment. And I don't want to put in something that's so personal to me that I can't get my money out when I'm trying to sell to somebody else. So I will recommend that if you're in a situation like that where your home is also a big part of your investment portfolio and you do plan to sell it within 10, 15 years, you don't necessarily have to go white. But neutral is a good idea for cabinetry and counters. And then you pull your unique and trendy colors and you put them on the walls, you put them in your window treatments, you have a lot of fun with color. You know, don't paint your walls white and make your cabinets an interesting color. 
paint your cabinets white and make your walls an interesting color because it's really easy and a day-long project and a $50 can of paint to change that color out to something that is whatever trendy in that moment when you're ready to sell or back to a neutral color that anybody can imagine um, themselves in. So that would be my recommendation. I think, yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, you know, in our case, we've got a 20-year-old kitchen. It's still very attractive. It's yeah. very serviceable, it's right? A, it's off-white right. and, and wood colors, and I actually still really, really like it. Right. Me too. Me yeah. too. And, and, it's, and it's serving us quite nicely, mm -hmm. so we're not, we're not compelled to tear it out based on utility, um, and we're not compelled to tear it out based on trend. Right, and that's a that's kind of a, a big deal, and you, you don't want to be in the spot where somebody will pigeonhole you and say, "Oh, you guys did your project in the early two thousands, mm -hmm. right?" And so that that makes a lot of sense. To right, nice, so, very good. So All don't right. don't be too worried about what the Wall Street Journal said tells you. So I think with that we should probably wrap it up. And we uh, want to thank you very much for being with us. If you enjoy the show, uh, we'd appreciate it if you uh, if you liked us and uh, and subscribe. We appreciate that tons and tons, so thank you very much. Um, and again, anybody who wants to send us a question, we would love to help uh, answer those questions uh, on the show. So I am David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. And you have been listening to Renovation Made Right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.